Hello, namaste, and welcome everybody to Living from the Heart. If this is your first session with me, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And I begin each session with a poem of my own, and I follow it with a 30-minute Dharma talk, and we close each session out with a 15-minute meditation to reflect and integrate on the lessons in the talk. And today's poem is called, Let Go and Flow. Let go and flow. Don't just be here now. Go with the now. Flow with the now. See how it changes with each moment and turbulent turn. Let the river of now take you, wash over you, carry you forward. Through its unfolding grace, there are no wrong turns. Around every bend lies a new landscape of infinite potential. Go with this now and this now. Now, now, now. Surrender into divine energy, the force of creation, where everything arises and everything returns. Feel surprise between your ears, wonder behind your eyes, and the unfolding smile of a new dawn behind your lips. Go with this now, and this now, and this now. And that poem is from my latest poetry collection, 108 Shavasana Poems. And I wanted to talk about the importance of flowing and going with the now by cultivating what is known as a strong back and a soft front. And to truly understand what a strong back and a soft front is, it's important to first talk about balance. There's a story of a great meditation master who was asked by his students why he often gave conflicting and contradictory advice. For example, one student came to him and the student said that they were struggling to stay awake in meditation. And the master advised the student to get more sleep. He told the student to sleep immediately after dinner and they're welcome to skip the morning meditation in order to get sufficient sleep. But when another student said the same thing, that they were also struggling to stay awake in meditation, the master told this student that he needs to meditate more, and he should actually wake up earlier at 3 a.m. and to start meditating in the hall before anyone else arrived, and to continue to meditate after everyone leaves for the evening session. So when the students inquired about this discrepancy, the master replied that we all need to find balance in our lives. The example that he gave was that imagine you are walking down a road. If you are veering too much off to the right, of course you have to go to the left. If you are veering too much to the left, of course you have to go to the right. So the master explained that he advises each of his students individually depending on what they are needing in the current situation. And I love this story because there's a lot of lessons to take from it. And one of the biggest lessons is that what is right for you might not be right for someone else. Spiritual practices are often described as a shirt. You should try it on first. 
And if it doesn't fit, then you are welcome to discard it. What worked for somebody on their path might not be your path. But secondly, the story shows that in order to know which direction we need to go, we have to first know exactly where we are. And there are some people who come to meditation from a very disciplined place. They have a lot of intensity in their life that they bring to their meditation practice. And they're the ones that wake up early. They commit to long sitting meditations. They prefer to stick with one technique, one teacher, one lineage. And these are the people that need to relax. You see them tightening up in their meditation, almost squeezing their body as if to find enlightenment somewhere in that squeezing. And it's these people that need to relax, need to notice where they are attached in their practice and to begin to let go and practice a little bit more non-attachment. But there are others who come to meditation and they are a bit more on the lazy side. They have a hard time sticking to a meditation practice. They have a hard time staying focused in a meditation practice. They tend to bounce around from technique to technique. And these are the folks that need to apply a little bit more discipline to their practice. They need to tighten up a little bit. They need to sit up straighter in their meditation practice. So too, we feel these fundamental energies in our own meditation practice. On the one hand, we have what is known as sinking mind or sleepiness. On the other hand, we have restlessness. And we have to find a balance between these two energies. There is another story of two priests who came into a monastery and both were smokers and they wanted to maintain their smoking habits, but weren't sure if it was allowed in this particular monastery. So they decided to go to their superiors and ask permission to smoke. Now, both of these new priests went separately to their individual superiors. And then after a few days passed, they met again. And the first priest was downcast, quite saddened. And he expressed to the other priest that he asked his superior if he could smoke while he prays. And of course, his superior said, no, absolutely not. But the second priest looked happy and he said he was given permission to smoke. And when asked how he managed to do that, the priest simply smiled and said, I asked him if I could pray while I smoke. So the first priest was not allowed to smoke while he prays because, of course, it would be a distraction. But the second priest, of course, is allowed to pray while he smokes because it is a matter of bringing the sacredness into every area of our life. And I love this story, too, because it shows how our spiritual practice shapes us. First off, if we are to deepen our spiritual practice, if we are to deepen how we are living from our hearts, we have to stick with it. We have to apply some discipline and not get distracted. And if you have ever sat down for five, 10 minutes just to notice your breath, you'll notice how quickly the mind gets distracted. Sitting down for five minutes, your mind will tell you what a waste of time this is, that you need to get up, that your back is hurting, that you need to move. And that's when you have to apply a certain level of discipline, a certain level of focus. Now, the story reflects the second transformation in our life in that what we practice on our mats, on our cushions, 
permeates every area of our life. We sit on our meditation cushion to practice living from the heart so that as soon as we step off the meditation cushion, we are living from our heart every single day. So we practice remaining present, open, aware, and attuned in meditation so that we can be present, open, and aware, and attuned with the people in our lives and the challenges that we face in our life on a day-to-day basis. So very much in that way, everything can become part of our practice. And finally, one of the most important lessons from the first story I mentioned about that if you are going right, you have to go left, and if you are going left, you have to go right, is that finding balance in our lives is iterative. You don't just find balance and be done with it. It is a continuous process. Standing on one leg, for example, you have to continually be aware of exactly where you are and make all sorts of little micro adjustments to stay standing. So part of our balance practice is finding that still point as best we can through the changing challenges and impermanence of life. So finding this balance, this iterative balance, is an important principle to apply to our practice of cultivating a strong back and a soft front. So the yogis that are listening probably already are resonating with this idea of balance because we balance physically in our yoga practice in order to find a balance in all the other areas of our lives. And the yogis who have read Patanjali's Yoga Sutras are probably aware of the famous saying about asana or the poses that is in Sutra 46 in Book 2. And the sutra itself is very simple. It's three words, stira, sukham, asanam. And this sutra is most often translated as seated posture should be steady and comfortable. And those are those two words. Stira can mean things like weight-bearing, strong, passive, and stable. And sukha or sukham can mean easy, agreeable, flexible, active, or moving. And this is something we look to find in our yoga practice, that delicate balance between effort and ease. But what is most important to know about the balance between stira and sukha is that every single organism on this planet needs to find that balance. Not just entire organisms like the human being, but even the smallest bacteria have to find that balance of stira and sukha, and every cell in our bodies finds that balance of stira and sukha. So for example, if you think about a tree, a tree has to balance between sturdiness and flexibility. If a tree is not flexible enough, if it is too sturdy, it ends up being quite brittle. If you look at a tree in the wind, it doesn't just stay there. It sways side to side, sways side to side. So a tree that is too rigid will snap in the wind. But a tree that is too giving, of course, will lean over and over and over until it finally snaps or finally bends over all the way down to the ground. And then, of course, bugs and other organisms can crawl up it 
and the tree will eventually die. So not only does a big giant tree need to find that balance of stira and suka, but so too does every organism, even down to the cell. First, a cell needs that element of stira, that stability element, and it needs to have what's known as a membrane to separate what the cell is from its outside environment. But that membrane is what scientists call semi-permeable because in order for the cell to function, it needs to allow fresh nutrients to come in and allow waste to come out. So we can't be fully caught off from the world, but we of course can't be fully in it. And we have to find that very delicate balance between rigid enough boundaries that we can maintain our sense of well-being and permeable enough boundaries that we are still in touch and in contact with this life. And we find those two dichotomies when we cultivate our strong back and a soft front. So a strong back is essentially having the courage to face the world having the courage to face our present moment experience no matter what comes up. There's a quote I love from John Kabat-Zinn, the meditation teacher and founder of mindfulness-based stress reduction. And he will warn his students, often on the first page of whatever handout or book he is giving out, and he warns his students that meditation is not for the faint-hearted, nor for those who routinely avoid the whispered longings of their own hearts. And that's why we have to have that strong back, because when we do finally become present, we notice all the things we have been ignoring, repressing, suppressing, and trying not to experience. Because once we do return home to ourselves, it's like returning to a house that has been abandoned for many years. There's a lot of work to be done. There are cobwebs in the corners. The roof is leaking and the floorboards are coming up because we haven't been paying attention. And I see this all the time in my yoga students. And those of you that have come to yoga after many years understand what it means to ignore what is necessary to be aware of. And after many years of ignoring our bodies, they get overweight, they get weak, they get inflexible, connective tissues hardens over time. So the process of coming to yoga at the initial few phases is just discovering all that we have neglected. So people ignore their bodies for many years and some ignore their hearts for their entire life. And just as you might come to a house you have left alone for many years, discover all that needs to be done, so too when we first come to living from the heart, when we first come back to our heart, we realize how much work needs to be done. People often tell you how important it is to listen to your heart and follow your heart. But what people often neglect to say is that following our heart can often be extraordinarily inconvenient. Because when we do listen to our heart, what it is actually trying to tell us, it might require dramatic changes in our lives. 
it might tell us that the job we're working at isn't serving us. Our heart might tell us to leave our current toxic relationship, maybe to leave our living situation, move to a new town and move city away from what is truly stifling our inner growth. And that's where our strong back comes from. It's a willingness to face what we need to face. I really love the introduction to Mindfulness in Plain English by Bhante Hanapola Gunaratana. And he writes, meditation is not easy. It takes time and it takes energy. It also takes grit, determination, and discipline. It requires a host of personal qualities which we normally regard as unpleasant and which we like to avoid whenever possible. We can sum it all up in the American word gumption. Meditation takes gumption. It is certainly a great deal easier to just kick back and watch television. So why bother? Why waste all that time and energy when you could just be out enjoying yourself? And I love that word too, gumption. Right? That's the discipline and energy and courage that we have to bring to fully living from our heart. And the idea of gumption and the idea of discipline is very important because many people think that their spirituality is simply about attaining higher states of bliss or to attain one lasting eternal state of bliss. And blissful states can be an important part of our spiritual path. But many people who are seeking this level of bliss that lasts forever think that if they finally become enlightened, they will never experience anything negative at all. But becoming enlightened does not free us of problems in our life. It just frees us from complicating them, from being so caught up in them. And if you think that spirituality is about simply attaining bliss in higher states of consciousness, then it will manifest in your life in what is known as experience seeking. Always wanting more, always needing more and more. New experiences, new practices, the next best breathwork technique, new ways to get high. And it can easily just become another part of spiritual materialism. You have one positive, blissful experience, and the mind immediately latches onto that experience. It co-ops it and turns it into just another form of spiritual materialism, just another notch to put on your belt. There's a story of a woman on a plane, and there's a gentleman sitting next to her. And the woman sneezes, and the gentleman notices this, and the gentleman notices that after she sneezed, she shuddered and shook her body. And the gentleman made a note of this, and a few more minutes passed, and the lady sneezes and shudders again. The gentleman thinks this is quite odd, and a few more minutes pass, and the woman sneezes again, and then shudders. Finally, the gentleman is overcome with curiosity, and he turns to the woman and says, Hi, I just wanted to say, notice after you sneeze, you give this little shake or this shudder. And the, woman, and the woman replies, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to bother you. You see, I have this medical condition. 
where after I sneeze, I orgasm. And the man says, oh my gosh, wow, that sounds really challenging. Um, what are you taking for it? And the woman replies, pepper. And it's a lovely joke because it expresses how quickly the human experience chases after blissful, pleasurable experiences. As soon as we have one blissful state in meditation, we want to have it again. And that wanting and that desiring takes us out of the present moment. So having a strong back means increasing our capacity to be with what is, the positive and the negative. Not seeing our spirituality as simply attaining higher states and bliss, blissful consciousness, but in being rooted in the here and now, in the good and the bad. It means having a willingness to face our shadows, to face what we've been ignoring, to listen to the whispered longings of our heart that we have put off to the side, and to be with our challenging emotions. And some might call it gumption. And still another word for a strong back is what is known as a fierce heart. And one meditation teacher I love to follow is Spring Washam, an amazing meditation teacher based in Oakland and one of the founders of the East Bay Meditation Center. And she has a whole book called A Fierce Heart. And in her book, she says this, Cultivating a fierce heart is about learning to embrace it all, even the most painful aspects of our lives, every experience and all of ourselves. We have to open up to everything in order to transform it. We become willing to use every condition, challenge, and misery as a teaching, no matter how bad it feels or how dark it gets. So gumption, discipline, a fierce heart, focused, present moment concentration. All of these are important elements to bring into our practice of living from the heart and our practice of cultivating a strong back. So if that's what a strong back is, you might be wondering, what about a soft front? And that soft front is a level of extreme openness and receptivity. And many people would tell you about the importance of being present, of being here now. And again, what they don't often tell you is that this now and this now and this now is continually unfolding. It's continuously moving. Everything in this universe is subject to impermanence and is constantly changing. So it's not like we be here now and we're done, right? I almost prefer to say, go with the now, move with the now, flow with the now. Because being present isn't being here now. It means being open and flowing with exactly what comes. It means not resisting in any way. It means being sensitive and attuned and cultivating a sensitivity to life. And when we do find this soft front within us, our entire world transforms. 
When one experienced meditator was asked why he meditates, he simply replied, I meditate so I can notice the flowers on the side of the road on my morning walk to the meditation hall. And that's what an open friend means, a soft friend means. It means we are able to notice this world around us. We are in touch with this world around us. And when we do, we actually tap ourselves into an undiscovered beauty that is available right now in the present moment. And the great philosopher Jiddu Krishnamurti even observed that it's this sensitivity reality that opens us up to what's often described in many religious traditions. And he even wrote this. To be religious is to be sensitive to reality. Your total being, body, mind, and heart, is sensitive to beauty and to ugliness. To the donkey tied to the post, to the poverty and filth in this town, to laughter and tears, to everything around you. From this sensitivity for the whole of existence springs goodness, love. And without this sensitivity, there is no beauty. So that's what a soft front is. It is bringing our entire mind, body, and senses to the here and now. And actually truly listening to the here and now. And the truth of the matter is, few people listen. It's actually one of the most challenging practices we have as human beings is actually being able to listen to each other and to the world around us. And the reason listening is so challenging is because we have to turn down our internal static, that endless inner dialogue, that ego that is trying to navigate and manipulate every situation that we are in. And it happens especially when we are listening to another person is we aren't actually listening. We're formulating our own story in our head. We are often waiting for the person to finish talking so that we can then interject with a joke or with an expression of sympathy or our own story. But to listen, we car is dropping out of our own story and actually being present with the person that is in front of us, with this unfolding moment that is in front of us. The poet Mark Nepo put it this way. He wrote, to listen is to continually give up all expectation and to give our attention completely and freshly to what is before us, not really knowing what we will hear or what that will mean. In the practice of our days, to listen is to lean in softly with a willingness to be changed by what we hear. And that's fundamental to a soft friend. We have to have a willingness to be changed on what, by what we hear. And in this way, we become more and more open to what is coming. And I think about this every time I return to nature, is that the more we open up to the world, the more the world reveals itself to us. The more we fully listen to somebody else, the more the beauty of their being is revealed. And this comes up for me a lot of times. Anytime I am in nature, 
is that when we're driving in a car, we look out the window and we see a mountain or a hill, nature can seem like a fairly static and passive place. It almost just looks like a picture or a painting. But if you finally get out of your car and let's say go for a jog down a trail, then you'll notice the rocks on the ground, the trees, and the birds but you won't notice nearly as much as if you were to slow down to a walk. And then you can notice the individual leaves on the trees, the mushrooms clinging to the uh, fallen tree branches. But then if you actually take time and sit, to literally sit down and open up, the world reveals itself. Then you're able to see all the ants crawling along the grass, the beetles hiding underneath the leaves, the lizards doing their push-ups on logs. I find that if you pause for any moment in the natural world, the world comes alive. So there's a phrase I love to introduce to people, and it is simply this. We have no time to rush. I'll say that again. We have no time to rush. And I love this phrase because it is so contrary to how most people go about life. Most people think that they have a limited time on this planet and they have to experience as much as they possibly can. But really, the truth of the matter is that the more we slow down, the more we're able to notice. If you slow down twice as much, you will experience twice as much. You'll be able to get in touch with what matters in this life. You will be able to listen to the whispered longings of your heart. Martha Postlewaite discusses this phenomenon in her poem, Clearing. And she wrote, Do not try to save the world or do anything grandiose. Instead, create a clearing in the dense forest of your life and wait there patiently until the song that is your life falls into your own cupped hands and you recognize and greet it. Only then will you know how to give yourself to this world so worth of rescue. And I love this poem for so many reasons. And it dives deep into what it really means to live from our heart. Our heart is nowhere but here. You're not going to find love and kindness out there in the world by lifting under a rock and finding love. Love is inside of you. And we can cultivate love by simply sitting still and allowing love to naturally arise within us. But we have to create that clearing. We have to create that clearing in the dense forest of our life. We have to clear our proverbial desks, so to speak, and get to the real work of living from our hearts. We can do that with the practice of meditation. So for our meditation today, I wanted to really focus on cultivating that strong back and soft front. So we'll focus on cultivating a strong back by really sharpening our attention on the breath. And then we'll open up to a soft front by listening deeply to the sounds around us and then, with that clearing in the dense forest of our life, we'll tap deep into our hearts. 
So to begin, find yourself sitting. And I hesitate to say sitting comfortably because for many people, a slouched position in their couch is comfortable. But we want an alert, disciplined awareness. So see if you could feel into your foundation and elevate and straighten the spine. And with your elevate and straighten spine, relax your shoulders while keeping your back perfectly alert and straight. And throughout our entire practice today, remember your posture. Remember your strong back. And then come into this moment by focusing all your attention on the breath. With your strong back, with your focused attention, notice the sensation of the breath as it passes in and out of your nostrils. And if your attention has wandered, simply notice and bring it back to the breath. Remaining present, focused, and aware of your breath as it passes in and out of your nostrils.
And now, while still maintaining our strong back, we'll just cultivate our soft front by opening up our awareness to listen to all of the sounds around us. So if, if you have headphones, you might take one earbud out so that you can hear the world around you. And just notice, what can you hear? You might hear electrical hums from machines and computers around you. You might hear sounds from the outside, cars passing by, birds chirping. I'll be silent for a minute and use that time to fully alight your ears to all of the sounds around you. Once again, if your attention has wandered away from sounds, bring it back to your ears and listen open wide for all of the sounds around you to enter and permeate your awareness.
and maintaining your strong back and open front, let us drop into the heart space and focusing on your heart. You can ask yourself, what am I really looking for in life? Allowing, listening to whatever answers arise, ask again, what am I really looking for in life? And allowing whatever answers answers to arise, to naturally arise. Taking note of whatever came up for you. Whatever came up for you as you created a clearing in the dense forest of your life, waiting there patiently and allowing the song of your life to fall into your cupped hands. And close out your practice by dedicating it to be for your benefit and the benefit of all beings. That this action is not wasted. It is part of our practice of living fully from our hearts, loving ourselves, loving each other, and loving the world. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for being you.